over a chair from a standing position? It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big electron, the big electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see. Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great show for you tonight. Let's get right to it. Alright, welcome to the Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Hello. Like, yeah. All right, let's see. Um, as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can find us on Facebook where we are, The Big Electron, or you can reach us here on studio at 573-882-8262. Um, you can also text at that same number uh, and we'll, we'll be happy to answer any questions you guys have. So um, we have, we're going to start the show with a very cool topic that has just come out of um, DC. So there was an international summit on human gene editing um, <clears throat> that finished today and it started due to, uh, as, as the name says, is on human gene editing and it's about um, trying to establish guidelines for what is going to happen next um, now that we are capable of editing genomes. Um, so there has been, uh, scientists have been able to alter genes for a very, very long time. Things started back in the 70s, but it's just recently that we were able, or scientists were able to modify human DNA and like develop and continue with embryos and things of that nature. Um, so if, if you remember back in April, I think it was, um, there was a big story and it, it reached all the, the news media, uh, all the media about Chinese scientists being able to edit uh, human embryos and now, you know, designer babies were coming soon and things of that nature. And this was due to a uh, technique called CRISPR slash Cas9. So, what is CRISPR slash Cas9, Madeline? Uh, yeah, so uh, basically, CRISPR Cas9 is a really new system that um, involves um, bacteria. This whole thing comes from bacteria. So, in humans and in other animals, we have an immune system that keeps us protected from things that might want to infect us, like viruses or other bacteria or things like that. But um, so bacteria have these same type of systems, but because they're single celled organisms, they have to do it all within the same cell. So what they do is they have um, this specific way of, if they get infected with a virus, they, and they recognize that as a virus genome, what they do is kind of chop it up and put it in a safe place so that they can always recognize it. And then they make this, um, set of enzymes that's able to, or just 
just proteins that are able to recognize that sequence. And if they ever see that sequence again, they go on, you know, red alert and start chopping up the sequence so that this virus can't infect them again. So this started out as just being kind of a cool discovery. Um, and then um, researchers realized that what this actually is able to do is recognize that very specific sequence and then change it. And so um, now for the first time, scientists are able to very, very specifically um, do this kind of um, search, find and replace type um, editing within the genome. So it's like control F on a computer. Exactly. <laughs> um, and whereas before things were kind of hit or miss, this is um, very specific and very robust. Basically, if it doesn't find it the first time, it's going to find it the next time and it's going to keep going until it finds it and changes every single um, sequence that it recognizes. Um, and so that's, that's the gist of what it is. It's a bacterial uh, immune type response. And it's been changing everything. Um, we're now able to use it to make, for example, animal models of different diseases that would have been really challenging before. Um, and just target very specifically these regions that we're interested, whereas these things previously would take months and months. Um, now we can do it much quicker. Yeah. Uh, this is Adam. <laughs> I work in a plant sciences uh, lab, and we are not directly using this tool yet, but there's certainly a lot of talk. It's a little bit harder to, uh, to use in plants for the moment, but if, mm -hmm. if we continue making progress on... Um, getting these tools adapted for plant use, it would make um, breeding of uh, plants even easier than it already is. Everyone's mm -hmm. familiar with the phrase GMO, which mm -hmm. is a genetically modified organism. Um, this would be a way to create uh, such things even faster than is already mm -hmm. done by directly inserting a gene. Mm -hmm. uh, that specificity is really key. So you, you yeah. don't have any accidental insertions anywhere else. Yeah, the methods... The methods that are used right now in um, altering the genome of a plant through through high-tech means rather than the old-fashioned way, which is through, through simple plant breeding, um, the way that this is done right now is very much a random firing mm -hmm. of something which is literally called a gene gun. You know, <laughs> it's, you're sending really tiny little gold particles or some other metal with, wrapped with DNA and literally firing it at high velocity into plant cells and hoping that it dislodges some of the DNA that you don't really need and mm -hmm. puts the DNA that you've wrapped in its place. And so you're, you know, this is a... That sounds terribly messy, and it is. Most of mm -hmm. the stuff you make with this is not going to survive because you end up accidentally hitting something you really need. So you have to filter through huge numbers of plants to, mm -hmm. to make this stuff um, incorporated into the genome of these plants in a way that doesn't harm the plant. Um, so doing this with CRISPR-Cas9 would allow you to put it exactly where you want it to go you have no risk of damaging a gene that you really need. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would be cool for that particular mm -hmm. purpose. But of course, what we're what we're discussing today is a lot more um, discomforting for a lot of <laughs> <Yeah>. folks because <laughs> we're talking about if we Human. can do this in yeah embryos, in animals, and plants. We're talking about potentially being able to do it in humans. Yeah, yeah. So. in humans. And and the reason why we know how to modify the genes is because remember the Human Genome Project. We know how. I mean, we we know how. The genome works and well not we know not what all it of looks it. Like we know least. what it looks like uh we've known a lot of uh 
specific genes and what they code for and all that stuff. And so that's why uh, personalized gene therapy, it's one of the reasons why it's it's taking shape. And, and now CRISPR mm-hmm. and Cas9 um, have allowed. And granted, there are, as Adam said, um, there are a lot of other ways to modify DNA, but this is the one that it's like most promising and mm-hmm. seems to be working better. Um, so there was a, like I said, there was an international summit um, that happened in DC earlier this week, <clears throat> and they just released their statement into how, um, what they think moving forward we should do mm-hmm. um, in, in regards to uh, research in in the clinic and preclinic and basic research and and just overall. Um, so just to give you a before I, I go into this statement, the White House has said um, that altering the human germline for clinical purposes is a line that should not be crossed at this time. Actually, the NIH said earlier this year, back in April, that they are not going to fund any research that involves modifying human embryos. And the reason they said it is, uh, this was, release and they said that it was a line that should not be crossed um, and they were um, the concept of altering the human germline in embryos for clinical purposes has been debated for many years and has been viewed universally as a line that should not be crossed mm-hmm. um, so that was a statement from the director of the NIH the National Institutes of Health one of the main uh, places where uh, a lot of people get funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was uh, this statement was back in April, um, but this summit just concluded today actually, and um, they said so. They released uh, they had four main things that they talked about. And the first one was basic and preclinical research. So they agree that doing basic and preclinical research, and when we say basic and preclinical research, we mean in the lab, kind of what we do. Uh, we grad students here at the university. Uh, we don't work directly, or whatever we use doesn't directly affect humans or mm-hmm. the entire population. Um, so the imagine of if you are developing a drug, you first synthesize it, and then you try it in like very small lines of cells or other types of things, and then you move on to the clinic when it's you know bigger animals, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, eventually humans. And so for the first thing, for basic and preclinical research, they said that it's clearly needed and should proceed uh, subject to legal and ethical rules and oversight uh, where it comes to technologies and then looking at what the potential benefits and risks are for the clinical use. And then it allows also to understand the biology of human embryos and germ line cells. However, they said that in the process, if uh, early human embryos or germ line cells undergo gene editing, the modified cells should not be used to establish a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, you can modify all the cells you want and the embryos, but do not continue onto a pregnancy because mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, yeah. So before we move on, because we're going to look, we're going to go into now the second part of this, which was clinical use. So once it moves on to the clinic and they, they divided it between somatic and germ lines. 
Yeah. So what is the difference between somatic and germ cell line? Okay, so um, everyone kind of knows that you are a product of your parents, right? You get one set of genes from your mom and one set of genes from your dad. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in most every cell in our body, it's made up of these two sets of, of genes. But we do have, um, when we go to pass on our information to our children, um, we make either sperm or eggs, and these are called germ cells. And so instead of having two sets of those genes, they just have one set so that as soon as the, the sperm and the egg fuse, you now have a total of two. And that is what divides and goes on to form this new, um, this new child eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's, a, it's a concern that if I have a, any sort of therapy or anything, basically, even cancer, that is affecting my somatic cells, so say... Um, some skin in my arm, then that's not going to be passed on to my child because it's not affecting my germ cells. It's not affecting the eggs that I would pass on. So, however, with CRISPR, it would affect every every cell in your body if you um, deliver it early enough. So mm. what they're saying here is that if you're going to try doing this, it should be kept out of the germline because the future generations are affected once you start affecting the germline. If something goes wrong and it's in the somatic cells, then, you know, I guess you could say the damage or, or the benefit um, stops at this generation. But if you go into the, the germline, then you start affecting all subsequent in, uh, generations. Okay. So what they say about CRISPR is uh, for the clinical use in somatic cells that they say, okay, uh, you can modify it and alter the gene sequences as long as they are not transmitted onto the next generation. Um, so some of the things that they they already are looking at is editing genes for sickle cell anemia in blood mm-hmm. cells or uh, the immune cells to target cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we heard about that. And, and that's what they're saying. They say, well, all of this, the clinical use are intended to affect only one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they're a little bit more open, but still... You have to evaluate um, what happens and regulate the risk and potential benefits of approving clinical mm-hmm. trials and therapies. And those are nice applications too, because if you're working with the blood, you can just take a person's blood out and mm-hmm. treat it, and then put it back in, and now it's good as new. Yeah. Um, so, and again, it's not affecting the germline, so that's a really good application for this technology. But what if you're trying to look at diseases that are genetic. Yeah, so that's the huge, so that would be the huge uh-huh. benefit of this. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I think they move on to the third part, which is the germline. Mm-hmm. So clinical use and germline. And then they say, uh, you know, it could be carried out, carried out. And I mean, the genetic alteration carried out by all cells. And then it will be passed on to subsequent generations as part of the human gene pool. Um, so some people are saying, well, you know, it can range from avoiding inherited diseases to, quotes, enhancement of human capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. other things, Anahita, or other things. Um, but they're, that this is where they're drawing the line and they're saying, okay, it's, it's important to see, but 
you know, there's there are risks risk of inaccurate editing that mm -hmm. is of target mutations, mm -hmm. and this is something that CRISPR it's it's not a hundred percent only modifying that one gene, but there are other off target mutations mm -hmm. that they are still kind of worried about or incomplete editing of early stage embryos. Well, um, they have good reason to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. We're not that good at this no. yet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that Chinese report. Um, wasn't 100% effective. Right. It wasn't as you know as I, perfect as they were hoping it would be. I believe it was 100% failure. Yeah. If I'm, if I don't, I'm I don't really remember. I think they had extensive damage. unintended uh -huh. damage mm -hmm. to the genome from what they were trying. And yeah. uh, I think there was pretty worldwide uh, panic over their statement mm -hmm. that they had done mm -hmm. this, this. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. so in the media, you, you would hear, oh my gosh, they are able to modify embryos, and mm -hmm. now we're in the new era of designer babies, but if yeah. you went and actually read the paper, yeah. then you would realize, oh no, they actually modified. They, like, they tried. They <laughs> tried. <laughs> we might be pretty darn close, but we're mm -hmm. not there. We're not there yet. Um, we're which not is there good yet. to have these... Um, these things on the, the leading side of mm -hmm. uh, the technology, have them kind of figured out and be thinking about our ethics early on. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And so pretty much what they're saying is, you know, you have to be really careful and you have to look at what the risks are, what harmful effects are, what uh, uh, interactions with other genetic variants and with the environment, because mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen when you edit yeah. the gene and then it interacts with the environment what's going to happen mm -hmm. um, they're also they're calling it an obligation to consider implications for both the individual and future generations that carry the genetic alteration alterations um, how would affect uh, how would affect and whether it would be difficult to remove or remain within a single community or country mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know if because uh, right now I read to you that the White House and NIH are saying we're not funding this. And mm -hmm. so either if, if you have private investors, then maybe you can try it or, or if not, then you're going to another country and, you know, they could take advantage of designing better humans and it would stay within just their country. And this this is something that they're, that mm -hmm. they're worried about. Um, providing enhancements that could uh, exacerbate social inequalities or be used coercively. Uh, and of course, then altering human evo evolution mm -hmm. ultimately. Was, was anyone else here required to watch the movie Gattaca in every genetics <laughs> class that they that they? We were never required, them? but I was really glad when I did watch it. Ah, gotcha. I got a kick out of it. We are not there yet. <laughs> yeah. That's good. The good news is we are not yeah. at that mm -hmm. point or at risk of that point. But yeah, that, that, that you're describing the idea that, say, one country would try to use such mm -hmm. technology to their advantage. Um that that would be slow going, but mm -hmm. in theory, is something that should be figured out beforehand before mm -hmm. we have this technology because mm -hmm. it seems inevitable that it will exist. I mean, that could be a fantasy, but it seems likely that we will have mm -hmm. the ability to do such things before right. too many more years. Mm -hmm. So. And even if it's not CRISPR-based, who's to say that we ha just haven't stumbled upon the next one that will be even stronger <laughs> than, than CRISPR? Yeah. Um, yeah. People were pretty excited when um, some of the zinc finger nuclease technologies and talons came out a few years ago, which do a similar thing um, through a different mechanism, and they tend to be a little bit more error-prone, but still it was, you know, 
big deal. Oh, this this big thing, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then we found CRISPR, and it just puts those to shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that's why there's people trying to come um, before we get there mm-hmm. instead of being a reaction, being kind of somewhat prepared. And they're they're not ruling out um, germline modification. They're just saying at right now where we have. Uh, safety issues have not been explored. Uh, the cases of more compelling benefits are still limited, and many nations are have uh, legislative or regulatory bans on germline modification. So, and so, you know, they're saying, well, you know, now at 2015, December 2015, we're, we're we don't mm-hmm. we don't say yes, go ahead and do it. <laughs> uh, but you know, they they will revisit it on a regular basis. Was there any kind of timeline on how regularly they would revisit it? Uh-uh, they just said regular basis. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what regular basis yeah, means. Yeah, like once a decade? <laughs> it can mean a lot. So mm-hmm. the organizing academies that co-hosted the summit are the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, the U.S. National Academy of Medicine, the Royal Society, which is in um, from the U.K., and the... Chinese Academy of Sciences. So they were the ones that organized it and they're calling for it to lead in creating ongoing international forum to discuss potential clinical uses of gene editing. And they're calling for a forum, ongoing forum that needs to be inclusive of all nations and engage a wide range of perspective and expertise, including scientists, social scientists, ethicists, healthcare providers, the patients, um, policymakers, to regulators, to f- research funders, faith leaders, public interest advocates, industry, and members of the general public, because this is something that would affect everyone mm-hmm. at some point. Um, so that's what the report said. It's, it's pretty short. You can read it. It's probably all over the news. I'm reading it off of um, Scientific American and Chemical and Engineering News. Um, so you're probably going to hear about it. Um, tomorrow in the news but yeah this is something that is that is happening and mm-hmm. we kind of they're, they're trying to t- be a step ahead of if mm-hmm. we can call it step ahead I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think should we regulate gene editing or no I'm kind of going back and forth on it a lot more I, I know that's not <laughs> <laughs> But, but do you think there should be regulations? Do you think like there should be uh, someone watching over the science of gene editing or should it just be let loose? And Yeah, I can't envision a world in which no regulation at all, everyone go willy-nilly is better. I mean, you know, as long as the regulations are reasonable, then yeah, like yes. I'm okay with people watching and, you know, transparency is good. Yeah, we're talking about something that has potentially a lot more power even mm-hmm. than pharmaceuticals, for example, which are pretty tightly regulated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, there, there can be reasonable rules set for use of this kind of technology uh, and altering the germline. Like, you can see the difference between, right, I can use this technology to alter the germline so that, say, this dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, um, this dangerous gene is not any risk of yeah. being mm-hmm. passed on to the next generation. So 
so that no future generations will be at risk of such medical condition as this causes. The difference between that and saying, I'm going to create a dude who shoots lasers out of his <laughs> eyes, um, that is not okay. Mm -hmm. And so they're... Probably not going to happen, but... <laughs> probably not. Uh, One can dream. The X-Men, the X-Men, I hate to break lasers, it to you. <laughs> I, I am sorry, Anahita. I think... I think the biology may not be behind you, oh. but we'll keep trying. We'll keep working towards that that goal, and one day, unless you carry um, your machine with you, Anita. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna play um, devil's advocate or mad scientist and say that if you have regulations, though, then you have a limitation on what we can discover in the science. Yeah, but discovery doesn't happen in people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't we don't <laughs> use people to discover stuff now, let that's alone. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. So what if it was expanded? What if um other animals mm, were being yeah. tested on? Would that be okay? I mean, currently we use other animals pretty regularly mm -hmm. and um it, which is still it, regulated. It is still regulated, mm -hmm. yes. Um for the we well being to, of the animals. We have to do everything ethically according to the boards of of you know, supervisors that we have. Um so yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't imagine that would change. Yeah, sharks with laser beams attached to their heads <laughs> is doable, yes. and, and in theory, if you could find an ethical justification for that, then you'd be okay. But, uh, yeah. Yay! <laughs> Isn't that exciting? Seems like the DoD would be shark would that. be more, They'd be more exciting. That oh my gosh, it would be <laughs> so great. <laughs> All right, well, that is uh, CRISPR and, and some uh, policy. Yeah. It's not necessarily policy. It was just, you know, some, some conclusions. Policy. Yeah, I want to be policy. Some conclusions from this international summit. So we're going to go on a first musical break and then we'll be back with uh, some more policy. And Anahita <laughs> has a really cool topic that is science <laughs> related to Thanksgiving. Yes. And Christmas. Yes. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Big Electron on KCAU 88.1 FM. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Um, if you're listening online on KCU.FM, a big shout out to our listeners in, in Florida. Yay. Hope you're enjoying a better weather than we are, but you know, <laughs> not jealous at all. Just saying. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Adam, you have some, some stuff happening in Hawaii. I've heard about it. I'm not, I don't personally have the stuff going on, but yes. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about something called the 30 meter telescope. And this is a thing that doesn't exist yet. Um, it's been proposed uh, for years by um, some researchers at the University of California and at Caltech. And it is, as the name implies, a telescope which is 30 meters long. So that's a really big telescope. That's huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if it is built, regardless of where it ends up being built, and that's the, the controversy of this story, um, that will be, as far as I understand it, one of the most uh, advanced uh, looking devices for mm -hmm. space that we've got. So it's, it's a pretty big advancement over the the telescope that it's uh, that its design is based on, so it was very much in their interest to the people who designed this at uh, California and at Caltech to uh, to find a good spot for it, a spot with extremely low light 
uh, with a really high elevation, so you have less atmospheric, um, less atmosphere there between it and space to mess with the signal. But um, they've just been dealt a pretty big setback mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> in the sense of uh, they've had their permit revoked. No. They, they have. This has happened. Um, they had applied for and received permission from the state government of Hawaii to build this on the top of Mauna Kea, which is a uh, nearly 14,000-foot uh, peak, the, uh, the tallest point in the state of Hawaii uh, on the big island uh, in that state. And they had received permission in 2013 to build this, but they had not yet begun construction. And part of the reason for that is that they had been dealing with protests uh, against the construction of this telescope in that spot um, throughout that time. So in 2014, their construction plans were, were put on hold indefinitely. And just now, just within the last week, the state Supreme Court of Hawaii has nullified that <gasps> permit. So they no longer... <laughs> That's bad. It's bad for them, mm -hmm. but it's kind of... You know, like all things, this is a two-sided yeah. story. Sure, um, the uh, the native Hawaiian people there, Hawaiians, that is to say, um, were um, among the group of them that follow the, the traditional religion there. Um, there were many people who were uh, taking part in protests against this by doing uh, pray-ins and so on, other kinds of uh, activities at Mauna Kea, this giant mountain where they were going to build it, uh, trying to disrupt their, their ability to, uh, to build it. And that would not have been great publicity for them to just say, uh, do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So they put it on hold. And now the state Supreme Court is saying that these issues that this group has brought up have never been addressed in any official or legal sense. Mm. And, they, and they weren't. This was essentially their permit was approved over this group's objections to begin with and without mm -hmm. any official consideration of whether they do have some sort of legal claim to mm -hmm. to uh, prevent that area from being de developed, which is essentially what they're in favor of. They're not against a uh, telescope, mm -hmm. just to clarify. Mm -hmm. This group is against any development of that spot. In that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it's not clear where this is going to go. It's a pretty, pretty tough conflict between... Mm -hmm what uh between in theory you could call this a conflict between science and uh and local people's mm -hmm. uh wishes um mm -hmm. or you could just view it as a conflict between scientists and a different group of people <laughs> depending <laughs> yeah. on how generous you want to view it and they can always apply for a new permit and they, you know see you know it, yeah. The story is not over for sure. Not at all. And of course, this is going to be appealed and, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. will yeah. be dealt with further. They may well end up getting the, the permit. permit to to go ahead and build there. It's uncertain. And if you remember when we had uh, Dr. Speck, Angela Speck, a couple a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, she was telling us how the area it the mm -hmm. telescope is how they do their research and mm -hmm. so she mm -hmm. has like certain amount of time out of the year that she can go do she applies for she applies yeah. for it and then she's granted like 
what was it like six hours 12 hours something, something like, that. like that um so that she can use a telescope and then she gets all the data and then comes back and analyzes it mm-hmm. um so yeah it's, it's a big deal that the telescope was being built because you know it would presumably allow for more scientists or more time mm-hmm. of the scientists that are in there um and now it's it's been that but then again you have to then you find yourself in between advancing science but preserving culture yeah right uh, and so it's so that that mountain was home to several deities uh supposedly so there's like this religious background to mm. it and you can't you yeah, can't like steal a religion right <laughs> <laughs> it's not just like any land you know right. it's that's why it's been and once you develop so it, you can't really go back. Right. Exactly. Because so, then you'll erase yeah. the history that yeah. that spot. You can always had. postpone it and then do it later, I guess. But or try to find another spot, maybe. Yeah. Well, but it 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 already started construction, though, right? I'm not clear if they ever started oh, okay. construction. Well, it's, it's uh, according to what I've read here. Um, they uh, the protests first began in 2014 locally, but then. Uh, in 2015, in April, there were 31 people arrested who had blockaded the roadway to keep construction crews off mm. the summit. Oh. That makes me think they were on their way to mm, the summit to, start. Mm-hmm. to do work. So whether they actually got anything underway or not, I'm not clear on. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I, I believe I said they had stopped construction in 2014. It must have been this year, 2015, that they stopped already mm-hmm. and now they've been they've got a state battling order to stop. this so that is uh that is a thing mm-hmm. so yeah this was one of five proposed sites okay to build that telescope mm. so yeah so then they can try another <laughs> four that just was too good for them to pass up sure because they mm-hmm. looked at this and they it was thought, like the perfect spot. There's, yeah, there's no pollution of any mm-hmm. significant amount. It's wow. in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, so mm-hmm. you don't have a fraction as much light pollution mm-hmm. as you would anywhere on the mainland in a heavily developed area. Mm-hmm. Although I find myself wondering, they are right next to Honolulu. I find myself wondering, yeah. can it really be that uh, that free? But of if it, it's high uh, enough. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's also extremely high. Uh, so, yeah, it's... it's um, uncertain what they'll do. Maybe they'll find that this is just too much legal hassle for them and they'll settle for their second choice. Yeah, maybe. Which um, they um, uh, they mentioned a few in Chile and... Uh, oh, like so so like different countries. I yeah, thought it was just different spots in Hawaii. No, oh, no. no. They've been looking at, at building oh. this in different countries. I don't have the list in front of me. Um Although I will. But oh, here, area, I do have a list. Three of the other proposed sites are in Chile. Oh. But that uh-huh. area in uh, Hawaii is yeah. where other observatories are. Mm-hmm. Not that uh-huh. yeah. exact area, but that land. So if you're in that kind of science, rather than having to book a flight to Hawaii or Chile, Chile. it'd be great if they were all in one place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's absolutely. Right. So there's already, you know, mm-hmm. a significant infrastructure, infrastructure. in Hawaii mm-hmm. to... Yeah to work with, so no doubt that helps. That's also true of of the spots in Chile that they've proposed though. Okay. So that's Chile's no stranger to mm. to telescopes. Cool. Massive international telescopes. The the fifth site is so three of them are in Chile, all in the same region. 
and one is in Baja, California, huh. in Mexico. Mexico. So um, those may end up being, mm -hmm. they may end up being forced to go to one of those instead, mm -hmm. but all of those were considered for this particular telescope to be runners up. So mm -hmm. I'm sure they don't want that. They, I guess sure. they just looked at this and thought, despite any opposition, this is just so worth it. We have to try. So mm -hmm. that's what, that's where it stands. <laughs> so have fun, everybody. Yay. Um, but yeah. I have yay. to believe that LA has way too much light pollution yeah. or like San sure. Diego. I don't even know. Because, yeah. I mean, this was University of California and mm -hmm. Caltech that did the primary development of this. I have to wonder how they even try telescopes. They probably... <laughs> <laughs> Just go around every all along the coast, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Is there some kind of light meter that yeah. measures light pollution? That would be so cool. To There's be that grad student, just travel all over the world. Yeah. Looking for where's the good spot? Where's the good spot? The the darkest spot possible. It's on the probably face just of like a grad student that's like, oh, Hawaii. Definitely. Oh, I gotta go to yeah. Hawaii. And see if but, but I mean, now but I went to the, to the court, you have to spend money on, yeah. on lawyers. And so you have to. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you have to convince someone else than just a grad student. Yeah, Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, so there's no way of knowing whether they're going to win or lose their appeal yeah. of this of this issue, but they may not even get there. It, it's very possible, like a lot of legal issues, it just turns out to be not worth the trouble and mm -hmm. they decide to move their plans elsewhere mm -hmm. purely for that reason. Who yeah. knows? That would be possible. No. No. Oh, well, to... to Lighter teams, Alahita. Food. Food. Food is always good. <laughs> okay, well, we're just past Thanksgiving. And so um, there have been a lot of articles circulating, so I wanted to talk about them. And it's specifically about the myth of tryptophan in Turkey making you sleepy. Mm -hmm. We hear that a lot, especially around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. Well, mostly Thanksgiving. Mostly Thanksgiving. That... The reason why you're so sleepy after having dinner is because of tryptophan. Right. Well, that's the myth. Right. So um, it's a myth. Let's let's uh, take a step back and say tryptophan is an amino acid or a molecule that um, is essential for the body and is found in and it uh, will build up proteins. So proteins we find them in dairy and tofu and different meats as well as other mm -hmm. foods, but that's where it's predominantly. And they provide energy to, when we ingest them, and right. they turn to protein, then they provide energy of some sort to right. us. And so tryptophan, the reason why it's associated with making you sleepy is that it's um, one of the first steps of making serotonin, which is uh, the chemical in your brain that makes you sleepy. And so, melatonin, you said earlier. Oh yes, also, and yeah. melatonin. So these are your sleepy, brain drugs <laughs> um, and tryptophan helps to make them. So the idea is that Turkey has a lot of tryptophan. So mm -hmm. the tryptophan gets into your brain and starts making more serotonin and melatonin than if you hadn't eaten Turkey. But studies are actually pointing to um, that it's not Turkey that's special. And in fact, ounce for ounce, um, roast chicken, steak, pork chops, and um, they all have the same amount of tryptophan, tryptophan mm -hmm. per ounce as turkey does. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter what meat you eat. 
you're still getting the same amount of tryptophan. Mm -hmm. um, and actually freeze-dried tofu has double the amount as oh, turkey. Wow. Yeah. So, so if that were true, eating tofu should make you more tired, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. <laughs> and so one of the things that's going on is, um, one of the ideas as to why tryptophan isn't the thing is when you ingest the tryptophan, you're getting, or I'm sorry, when you ingest the proteins, whatever it is, you're getting more than just tryptophan. It's not like a pure pill. There are other amino acids and it's kind of creating a traffic jam in your brain. So not just tryptophan is getting into your brain to make the serotonin and melatonin. It's kind of a bunch of things are going on and that, mm. that kind of blocks the process. And it's much more likely that's what is actually making you tired is just that you're eating um, heavier foods like carbs and carb-rich foods and that's mm -hmm. making you sleepy. So it's, I'm sorry to say overeating, <laughs> <laughs> not just turkey. <laughs> you mean gorging myself isn't good for me? Well, I'm not gonna Bummer. go that far. <laughs> well, I find this very reassuring. I don't know what I might eat on the next holiday and it's nice to know I'm gonna get that same post-food oh, nap coma. effect. Yeah, coma. yeah the food yeah. coma, regardless. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, that's this is, sure. This is why we do science, is to debunk harmful myths. Like, so I'm gonna like, give way too information about my family right now. We have an ongoing debate as to if we're gonna have turkey or ham because oh. half of us hate turkey and the other half hates specifically the smell of ham being cooked. Oh. And so um, I was, I always use this. Yeah, but it makes you sleepy. Oh, so you're on the ham side. So I'm on the ham side. That's so a myth also, I'm they, sure. <laughs> the smell thing may. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm pro ham. <laughs> you're pro ham. <laughs> I'm pro ham, so this isn't a great <laughs> Great myth bust. <laughs> but yeah, overeating, it's, it makes you sleepy it's mm -hmm. not it's not mm -hmm. turkey it would have been the same if it was any other food that you were consuming and specifically thanksgiving is very carb heavy mm -hmm. and sugar heavy mm -hmm. so like cranberry sauce sweet potatoes Blame oh my god potatoes. Sweet all potatoes. the good things <laughs> <laughs> having sweet potatoes yeah stuffing <laughs> it's all very carb and sugar heavy uh -huh. and those are the things that are kind of like pumpkin weighing pie. you down and mm -hmm. oh pumpkin pie this is turning out to be a very difficult segment for us. Yeah. <laughs> Those of us who've not eaten dinner yet. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh -huh. Yep, yep. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go on our second musical break, and we'll be back for a short topic um, before we close up our show. You're listening to The Big Electron on KCOU 88.1 FM. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. To close up the show, we have some super material. I think that's a good a good word for this. Okay. It sounds really awesome. Uh, so some researchers have recently released a paper talking about their new form of carbon that they've developed. And um, being a biologist, I'm not super well versed on um, some of the more structural science sciences, but um, it sounds really awesome. Uh, it's harder than diamonds, which mm -hmm. sounds really cool to me. Which but, diamonds are carbons? Yeah, it's carbon. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, one of the things that I think is cool is that I guess using this technology, um, scientists have been interested in making diamonds in the lab for a while and they can do it and they can, they can even like take your ashes, um, mm -hmm. say from a deceased um, cremated relative and make that into a diamond. Or a dog. And, yeah, mm -hmm. um, and they can, uh, so I, I just think this is cool because it, it partly overlaps with that and will help 
make that more doable all mm -hmm. the time. But you guys, I think, have a better <laughs> appreciation of like how really cool this is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of what's happening nowadays and the, all of this kind of started with nanomaterials. So um, carbon, carbon sheets are one of the strongest Graphene? Graphene. There we go. <laughs> I was like, I'm forgetting the name. So graphene, graphene actually uh, was developed with the technique when it first started. Um, the guy was pretty much just had a pencil okay. and then with tape and then he just like took the tip of the pencil, so the lead, and just like started ripping off Oh. Uh, layers of carbon. Okay. And then after that, then they develop graphene. Graphene is one of the strongest materials known to wow. this day. They won a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize in chemistry, I believe, mm -hmm. or physics? Chemistry. Chemistry, I, I think. Okay. And... You know, uh, we're saying chemistry. I think yeah, it's chemistry. I think it's chemistry, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and after that, you know, the whole nano materials and nanoscience mm -hmm. came to uh, this new field just exploded because of the properties and how easy it was to make. Um, and so uh, materials, developing stronger materials is always, always an interest in science. And so a lot of scientists to um, develop these new stronger materials are playing with pressure and temperature mm -hmm. um, to try to, to try to make new things. Mm -hmm. And so what they did, this is researchers from North Carolina State University, and what they did is they used a laser, uh, some quick beat bursts of energy um, to just a carbon film that had no shape. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons why diamond is so strong is because of its, uh, how the atoms are arranged, okay. um, you know, microscopically. Mm -hmm. um, and they just have this perfect shape and that's mm -hmm. why it's so strong. Whereas if you compare it to lead, who's also, that is also carbon, it's the, the shape inside, the arrangement of the atoms mm -hmm. is very disturbed. And it's kind of like thinking about snow versus ice. Okay. It's, yeah. They're both frozen water, but it's how the molecules are arranged mm -hmm. that dictate what they are. What mm -hmm. the shape is. Um, and so, what they were trying to do, I believe, in this case, was something similar to it. And they were used. They used laser in high temperature. They mm -hmm. heated up to they heated up to six thousand seven hundred and forty degrees Fahrenheit. Oh wow! Oh, was that all? <laughs> <laughs> just just that. <laughs> and so it, the laser uh, melted the carbon, mm -hmm. and then then it cooled rapidly to form a crystal lattice. Um, and then depending on the energy levels, then the carbon uh, would crystallize into diamonds or Q-carbon. Um, and mm -hmm. so Q-carbon is what they call this new, this new element, which is 60% uh, harder than diamonds. So it's a very strong material. Um, and it has some really cool properties. Um, it's ferromagnetic and it's fluorescent. Uh, usually when something fluoresces, you, you have to like add some energy to it. So right. I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how So this, this just fluoresces on, just its, own. on its own. Apparently, ah, that's what they're saying. That and seems it like has, it would have cool biomedical implications. Absolutely. Right. And then it has uh, the ability to conduct electricity. Cool. Wow. So it seems that it's... They just published it, what, last week? So... Yeah, um, this is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and the article I read um, was mentioning some 
more normal <laughs> rather than just biomedical uses. Some things that we could appreciate would be like, for example, stronger smartphone mm -hmm. uh, covers oh. so that, you know, it would be a lot harder to smash your phone, which mm -hmm. would, I know a lot of people who <laughs> yeah. could, could use that. Could use that. But yeah, all sorts of applications. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you'd have a glow-in-the-dark phone case. Oh. <laughs> uh, Always be able that to That is, like, it. super strong. <laughs> yeah. Even if you step on it or you just drop it onto the floor, uh, you can find it and mm -hmm. it'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, there were... Oh, it's also magnetic. Do we say that? Uh, yes. You mentioned it briefly, magnetic. but, yeah, what does that mean to you? Anything so, particular? Um, no other forms of carbon have been magnetic before. Okay. No mm -hmm. other forms of these materials. And so that's... So it's it's kind of like a metal. It's it's it, acting it, like a metal. It's acting, it's acting like yeah. a metal, which it's is really strange for carbon. Yeah, because like, carbon, it's what we're made of. <laughs> charcoal this, being magnetic. Yeah. Is this of interest just because it's weird, or because it's potentially useful in electronics, or even biomedical uses? I think it's interesting because it's, it's weird. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and also because oh, no, no, of its I applications. I think it also has really good, like you said, um, smartphones. Uh, electrical components. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's magnetic mm -hmm. and it has electrical, it can carry electricity. Mm -hmm. um, you can also think of delivering drugs. Yeah, yeah, these characteristics are definitely, will have a wide range of mm -hmm. applications. Yeah. I really liked this quote um, that I found. It's by uh, Penn State University chemist John Batting, and his, he was basically saying how awesome this is. But he also said, extraordinary claims ex require extraordinary evidence. Mm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's still super fresh and not been validated to the extent that you would want something like this to be right. validated. Mm -hmm. But um, And always when something new comes up, it has criticisms. And yeah, it's yeah. like this awesome, we need to make sure that yeah, hopefully it can stand. stand. Yeah. yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, because it sounds, it sounds pretty, pretty interesting. All right, I think with that, we're going to close our show. Um, thanks for listening. If you are in Columbia or surrounding areas, or if you are listening on KCOU 